He talks about the miles on the lost highway, how the road and the drink drove her away. I shake my head when I hear him say, I'm looking for Audrey. Same conversation, night after night, shows me that same old picture, an old black and white. Sinister greetings to you, my amazing ghouls. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are, as always, courtesy of my friend, the amazing Bobby Mackey. And I'm, of course, your host, Tessa Morrow. This week, I have an awesome guest joining me. He lives in one of my favorite places, so not going to lie, sort of jealous right now. Bruce Burnett works for the very, extremely, very haunted city of Tombstone, Arizona. He's fond of saying Tombstone is the town too tough to die, but all the residents eventually do. But sometimes they never leave town. Bruce has been interested in the paranormal ever since a startling experience he had as a 16-year-old. About 50% of the population in the United States believe in paranormal occurrences. The citizenry of Doomstone weighs in at more like 70% believers or more. The stories of the paranormal run rampant. There are so many buildings with activity, both residential and business that it's difficult to grasp. As the social media manager for the city's Discover Tombstone, he is always happy to talk about one of the Tombstone's biggest and baddest attractions, the paranormal. Bruce Burnett, thank you so much for joining me this fine morning. to talk about Tombstone. Oh, me too. <laughs> so we're going to have a great time. Welcome to the podcast for sure. So, you know, I actually found out about you due to some neat posts regarding Tombstone that you were sharing in Mutual Friends Watt and Tarbell Undertaker's page. And it really just grabbed my attention. And I knew I was like, wow, I need to have this person on the podcast. Oh, well, very cool. I, I know that you've been down to Tombstone a number of times, right? Oh, yeah. It really has become my favorite place to go to. Uh, New Orleans was the first number one on my favorite list for a long time because I used to spend summers there. But when I went to Tombstone, I didn't think, Bruce, I could ever find a place that I felt the same with like New Orleans. And Tombstone, like past New Orleans, went way up there, just has so much history and the people are just so outgoing and friendly, and they treat you like... We, we have the friendliest locals on Earth. We really do. Oh, absolutely. I have to agree with you 100%. This last year, when we were there for my birthday in October, we went, and I I just wanted to spend the whole week there. And my friends were like, well, let's go to Bisbee for the day. And I'm not a fan of Bisbee. Like, I, I don't really 
like it much, but I was just like, okay, it's not all about me, this trip, let's go. So we went and let's just say that with, beside, you know, without getting into the whole story, we literally got chased out of that town by angry, hipster, crazy people. And I'm just like, yeah, let's go back to Tombstone where they treat you like family and not chase you out. Bisbee is, is a bunch of uh, commune-like hippies from back in the day that needed a place to go live. I, I have nothing about the town of Bisbee. Actually, in Bisbee has a very haunted location called the Copper Queen Hotel. And that is pretty well known, at least down in this area. You don't really hear about it on shows or anything. I don't really hear anyone talk about it, but that's pretty haunted. And if you go further south and closer to the border, there's a place called Douglas. And they have a place there called the Gadsden Hotel. And, you know, and I went down there one time. I wasn't staying there, but we ate in the restaurant. And I, I asked the waiter, I said, hey, let me ask you is it really haunted here? And he goes, well, I haven't been here that long. He goes, but I know people that don't go to the third floor. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, I know girls that do like uh, room service and stuff and they won't go to the third floor. And I'm like, Oh, I got to come down here and stay on the third floor. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's neat. Yeah. I've heard of the Gadsden and I'd love to go check that out at some point. So, Bruce, at the age of 16 years old, or should I say young, you experienced something that made you a true believer of the supernatural and paranormal. Take us back, if you will, to that fateful day. Okay, so I'm 16 years old, <laughs> and I'm going, it, it, it sounds so, it sounds so mellow, like it, like it's going to be nothing. I'm going to my brother's apartment, he's having a party. It's a small apartment. They've got like maybe 20 people in the living room and kitchen. And I'm going up the stairs and this girl walks by me going down the stairs. Now, you know, pardon me for the way I'm going to say this, but I'm 16. I'm hot to trot for any girls I see. Right. And didn't appear ghostly at all to me. I mean, just looked like a girl walking by and, you know, kind of the funky thing she's you know, she's dressed in white, but, but it wasn't, it looked like an, an actual person. And I, you know, I didn't bump into her or anything. She just walked by me. Yeah. And she was, didn't seem like apparition like at all. I immediately went into the apartment and I grabbed my brother. I'm like, Oh my God, who is that girl? And my brother's like, you know, he's, he's trying to talk with everybody. And he says, well, I, I don't know. What did she look like? I said, she was wearing a white dress, she was blonde. He goes, no, nobody like that. And they're, they're the only apartment at the top of the stairs. There isn't any other apartment. And I'm like, so I'm asking other people at this party, who is that girl? Who is that girl? Who is that girl? And they're like, oh, it, I didn't see her. I'm like, no, you must have seen her. She's like, you know, you don't see a lot of people walking around in a white dress. You, yeah. just, you know, it's just not the normal thing that you see. So... About five minutes later, two of my friends come walking into the party, and they tell me, who was that girl? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did you see her down at the parking lot? She go, they go, no, she just walked out the door like two minutes ago. Like, you know, we were starting to come up the stairs, and she was coming down the stairs. And right then I was like, oh, wow. And two other people that night besides them saw her come out as well, and I was like, I was sold right from the back. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I, I spent a lot of time 
talking to everyone there and nobody saw this girl on the inside, but like four different people saw her on the outside. Wow. That's interesting. That's neat. So everybody that did see her, she was like the same thing, just walking down the stairs. Right. Almost like a, uh, like a recording. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So my brother, he, he used to date this gal named Linda, which already is a little ethereal. She wasn't Linda. She was Linda. Hmm. And she used to read tarot cards and do all this stuff. And, and I asked her, I said, who is that girl? And she goes, oh, that's Sally. Hmm. And I'm like, well, who, who's Sally? You know, can I get her number? She goes, oh, no, she's, she died a long time ago. I can't remember what it was, but she had been sick or something and had passed away, not in their apartment, but at the apartment building. Oh, okay. Apparently, she used to date someone that lived in the apartment where they were at. So and I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, I'd still like her number, though. <laughs> Dead or not, she was hot. <laughs> You know, didn't seem to me at all to be a thorough. You know, we get that a lot on the street here on Allen Street in Tombstone yeah. with the figure of Virgil Earp. And Virgil Earp, there was an attempted assassination on him when he was walking from White Earp's Oriental to the Crystal Palace. And many people that have seen him have said, didn't look like an apparition, looked like a guy in period dress standing there and then walking across the street. So I, I totally get that. I mean, I'm used to everyone, like they have a picture of someone and it's very much a shadow figure or something like this. But, he, but like lots of people, like hundreds of people have said, oh yeah, we, we see Virgil Earp and he looks like Virgil Earp and he looks like he's dressed like a marshal and all that. So. Oh, that is phenomenal. Talk about the sighting of a lifetime. You know, I mean, that would be amazing. Uh, you know the way the paranormal goes. You know, you go to a place that's highly active and you go there and then you're like, there's no activity. But there's other times when you go to places where, you know, this apparition is tons of times. Everybody sees, you know, we have a figure at the Birdcage Theater which is, they called the woman in white. Well, she's not only in the Birdcage Theater, but hundreds of people have seen her walking down the street on Allen Street at night. And she does look, you know, ethereal apparition. Like, she doesn't look like an actual person. But, I mean, you can tell that it's a female person, but it's not like running into someone in real life who's, you know, like the way Virgil is to a lot of people. You know, she's a little more, I don't know what you want to call it, foggy. I don't know. But she's been seen unnumbered. There is a lot of sightings in a lot of places in Tombstone. Right. Yeah, that's why I love Tombstone. It's kind of almost like a paranormal amusement park. <laughs> I so want to get a group of paranormal investigators or something we need to have an event here in tombstone like in october you know oh yeah you play playing with the whole halloween i don't know we have doc holidays you know right i'm thinking like doc horror days or something like that would be fantastic you let me know the dates and i will go i mean that sounds like 
that would be epic. <laughs> yeah, I, I would really like to do that. I heard on the show where you were talking with Ian, mm-hmm. I think it was, you were talking about the difference between investigating like businesses or old buildings and investigating homes. Right. And it, you kind of talked about the difference between, you know, you're, you're just getting activity and things at businesses, but when you do a thing for a home, you're trying to help solve a problem. Right. Absolutely. And I gotta tell you, for a town where they said, you know, the Undertaker had a man for breakfast every morning, (laughs) there's not really a lot of malevolence here. Although I have heard of down near Hoptown there being someone who's malevolent. But normally, everyone, all the spirits and all the activity seems to be fairly lighthearted for a place where you know, people were killed violently. Right. So it's kind of strange. No, that is strange for sure. And like you said, like so many people were killed violently and you had executions there and had a lot going on. Yeah. To me, it's just mind blowing for sure. But Bruce, you know, obviously we're talking about tombstone. You live in a place where folks treat outsiders and visitors and tourists alike like locals like their family i mean that really do right and i that's why one of the reasons i adore tombstone but also i i tend to love smaller towns like you it's a small town but you have everything there from saloons like crystal palace which is nice but my favorite's the oriental and you have the tombstone brewery mine, mine as well Right? I mean, you just, every night we would go there and hang out and, you know, get some nice cold beers in us. But, you know, also the Tombstone Brewery, great, nice local beer. One of the greatest wider historians works with the Oriental. Do do you know who Tim is? I do know Tim. He's awesome. Tim is really well-versed. He's so well-versed on Wyatt Earp that the city historian, Don Taylor, told me, oh, Tim, yeah, he (laughs) really knows what he's talking about. So, you know, when you have a city historian say, oh, that guy really knows what he's talking about, that's quite a feather in your cap. Oh, yeah, no, that's quite the compliment, absolutely. I, yeah, Tim is neat. When we went there a few years back, I took a lot of pictures and videos, you know, the reenactments that they do at the Oriental, and I came this last year and I was staring at him because he was behind the bar and I'm just like, this dude looks so familiar. And I'm looking at my pictures from the year before on my phone and I'm like, hey, that's you. Your hair was a little longer, but that's you. There is. Yeah, there is. When you were at the Oriental, did you have any activity? We didn't do any investigating. We just, I'm not there anyways. I want to set it up where when I go back, if we could set up an investigation, that would be awesome. But I'll tell you what, my wife is a 100% skeptic. I mean, mm. 100% skeptic. Yeah. And we were in the Oriental. This is back in 2020 when they first kind of reopened, you know, after the COVID thing and all that. Right. And and we actually, the, the town actually opened up like almost right away, May of 2020. That's awesome. Uh, the bars the bars and things had, you know, re- restrictions. But right. we were in there to do karaoke one night. There was maybe eight people in the entire place. And you know the size of Dorian's 
oh, it's big. Huge. It's on two sides. Right. And she's standing there, and suddenly she goes, oh, she turns around. And I said, what happened? She goes, somebody just put their hand on my back. Mm. And I'm like, well, you don't have anyone within 20 feet of you. And she goes, oh, it must have been a muscle spasm. And I'm like, <laughs> Sure, because a muscle spasm <laughs> always feels like someone placing their hand on your back. <laughs> and then we were sitting at one of the tables, and our friend Tracy gets her chair kicked. And, I mean, it was really obvious. We're all sitting there talking, and her, her chair just went forward like an inch or two. And she's like, somebody just kicked my chair. And I'm like, there's no one behind. And, you know, because in a bar... Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time anyone got got a chair kick, right. except for there was no one to kick the chair. Then, like, I need to tell you this because this feeds into this as well. <laughs> she was the one when we talked previously on the phone. She has a daughter that we won't give the name of because she's not eighteen yet. Yeah, but she uh, is very receptive. So during the day of the same day that we went to do karaoke, they had been at the Crystal Palace and they were walking across the street to the Longhorn and had some food. They were looking for a house in Tombstone. Her daughter is like so immensely receptive to like emotions and things that being in larger cities just like drives her insane. Matter of fact, she doesn't like to be in high school because she's like, oh my God, she's like all the 15-year-old boys are like vibrating with emotion. No, but we, they're walking across, and she tells her mom, she just stops in the middle of the street. She goes, oh, my God, Mom. And she says, what? She goes, oh, man, there's two guys right here. And her mom goes, what, what, what two guys? And she goes, no, there's two men right here. And she goes, the one guy is really scared. He's really scared. Mm. but he's not backing down, but he's really scared. Oh. And then she goes, and the other guy shot it. Well, <gasps> there was a famous shooting, but, you know, they didn't live here. They were just down here looking to, to buy a house. You know, they she didn't know any of the history of Tombstone or anything. So they're going to drive back to Sierra Vista. And this is all in the night before we ended up at Wyatt Earp's Oriental. And Tracy's driving the car, and she goes, I almost crashed. She goes, my daughter is sitting next to, and I'm going to call her, we'll call her Margarita or something. You know, she's, <laughs> it, it's not a very common name. Well, Margarita would be a bad name for this, but anyway, she's got a, a highly unusual name and she's doing her phone and, you know, and, and she's, uh, you know, looking up things, whatever teenagers do on phones these days, you know, you're probably swiping right on people. I don't know. <laughs> and she says, Tracy looks in the rear view mirror and there's a guy sitting in the back seat. Oh, and wow. she freaks and she pulls the car off the road onto the dirt. And she's like, Oh my God. And she looks in the back. Of course, there's nobody there. And she goes to look at, she says to her mom, what are you doing? What are you doing? She goes, did anybody come home with us from, like, the Crystal Palace or the Oriental? And she says, you mean the guy in the backseat? He's okay. <laughs> and so that night when we're over there, my wife gets touched on her back and my friend's chair gets kicked. Yeah. I had some, oh, it was a stupid, it was a thing that you can download on your phone. I mean, it's a really stupid, cheap, nothing, I mean, you know, ghost 
ovulus kind of thing, but it's, you know, it's obviously not a real ovulus. And, yeah. You know, and I'm running it the entire night and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't give me any words at all the entire night. Like, you know, people are doing karaoke. It's not like suddenly the ovulus goes, devil went down to Georgia. You know, that's, it, it doesn't do anything except one word and it puts her daughter's name on it. Oh, wow. Which is just a really unusual thing because her name is unusual and it's the only thing that came through the whole night and she had this experience there in front of the Oriental earlier in the day. So it was very interesting. No, that is very interesting. Yeah, well, you know, I usually... I usually don't use phone apps myself, but that sounded pretty accurate, you know, so maybe there's something more to it. And I wouldn't either. It's just that I downloaded it when I was there because I'm like, there's been a weird couple of things happen here so quickly. I'm like, I'm just going to see if I can get something. Now at their home one day, this girl comes in and tells her mom, she goes, mom, there's a little boy on the roof. Mm. And my friend's like, oh, my God, we got to get a ladder. we got to get him out there so he doesn't get hurt. And her daughter looks at it and goes, but it's not a little boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Yeah, she's like, there's a little boy, but oh. it's not a little boy. And, you know, Jeez. mom gets kind of freaked out by that stuff. But I bet. But the girl, she doesn't really get freaked out about it. She really doesn't. If you ask her, you say, oh, it's Tombstone Haunted, she'll say 100% it is. Right. And I think when we talked the other day, you know, about approximately 50%, like 48% of Americans believe in the paranormal or believe in the, in the possibility of the paranormal. In Tombstone, I think that number is more like 70, 75% because so many people have had activity here. Right. I'm sure it's much higher than 75% even just because so much is going on and more and more people are encountering things that they just can't debunk or explain. And so I think more believers are coming out of the woodwork and it's kind of funny because I'm in the same boat as you. Your wife is a skeptic. My boyfriend is a hardened skeptic, too. It is interesting. But yeah, I mean... We should hook them up on an investigation. Right? <laughs> Those two. Yeah. Let them take the lead. <laughs> yeah. My wife's sitting off the corner like, oh my God. <laughs> I could hear the eye roll. <laughs> She's like, "Are you, oh, absolutely. She's like, are you on one of those shows right now? <laughs> Yeah, you know, Tombstone, it just has so much going on, and I can't wait to get into some of the wild things going on there. Bruce, in your opinion, which location is the most active when it comes to the paranormal and supernatural in the town that's too tough to die? It's too tough to die, yet eventually everybody does, but they don't all leave town. (laughs) Well, the go-to, the one that well, there's actually, you know, it's sort of hard to say because the go-to locations, the go-to location, obviously the birdcage makes top 10 lists all oh, the time. Oh, yeah. Watton Tarbells is very active. And Shufflin Hall, that's the one that doesn't get nearly the attention it should. That was built by Ed Shufflin's brother. It was the theater it's one of the biggest, largest adobe structures in the United States that's still around. 
And my wife and I worked with the Tombstone Repertory Committee that was, it was set up to do plays to earn money to help, you know, refurbish Shepman Hall. Yeah. And there is all kind. we would be there and having, you know, meetings downstairs and you could hear someone walk across the stage when for sure no one else is in the building. Nobody else is in the building. And you can hear the boots walk across the stage. And my, my wife's like, oh, that's a mouse. And I'm like, what, a mouse in cowboy boots? I don't <laughs> think that's a mouse. And she's like, I think that's a mouse. And she had an experience where she was in the front of the place and she was going to go outside and the door wouldn't open for her. Mm. And she had seen a guy outside. So she was a little skeptical about walking right out. And apparently the guy kind of disappeared and the door didn't want to open. And the funny thing about Shufflin Hall is there's a door on the front of Shufflin Hall that if you don't, if you're not really careful about the way you close it, you can't even make that door stay closed. It's one of those doors. You kind of got to jiggle the handle and everything to make sure the door stays closed. And she couldn't get it open, you know. And yeah. somebody else walked right up and opened it, no problem. And I'm like, okay, something's weird about that. But of course, my wife never thinks there's anything weird about anything. So, <laughs> Shuffling Hall is a thing. And you've been in Watt and Tarbells before, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The first time I went was in 2016. And it's, I, I've gotten so much evidence there, Bruce, from a picture with a, in, with a red noose. And a blue figure below it. And I'll send you the picture. But people ask me all the time, well, there was a prop there, right? I'm like, no, absolutely not. They didn't have a prop noose. And every time I go, there's never a prop noose. But you, as clear as day, you can see it. And when right. you lighten the picture, all of a sudden, so the noose is on the far left side and the figure below it. All of a sudden, when you lighten the picture, you see this man's torso hanging and his arms are outstretched right next to the noose. And it just blows my mind. But yeah, Tombstone never disappoints. I mean, I've gotten apparitions at the birdcage. I've gotten so much evidence, EVPs, ovulus results. I mean, it just, it never ceases to amaze me just how much I can get from one location you know let alone the whole town in answer to one of the posts we did because we're doing a series like maybe once a week we're going to do another haunted location in tombstone Mm -hmm. on the facebook page discover tombstone and a guy sent me a thing where he had been in the bird cage and as far as he knows he's the first guy that ever took an sls camera in there Mm. and he had all kinds of SLS images of things in the birdcage. And no one, to my knowledge, no one had ever taken one in there before. I'm sure people have since then. Yeah. But he had all kinds of stick figures. It was like, he was like, he was shocked. He turned on his camera and he goes, the moment he turned it on, there was like four different ones. And he's like, oh, I've never seen. He goes, I'm lucky normally if I get one. And he goes, you know, suddenly I'm getting four at the same time. Oh, they're having a park. Wow. Yeah. It is it is interesting. Yeah, the first time I went into the birdcage, 
it was really neat. You know, you know how they'll kind of do a little history lesson and then you could like either check out the gift shop or pay a few bucks to go into the museum itself. Right. And I remember everybody left and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll definitely go into the museum. You know, I mean, of course I want to see the Mariah and everything in there. And oh, the so, great. oh, it's awesome. So much going on. I mean, and it wasn't like a huge group. It was earlier in the day. So I'm sure that every t- other time I've gone in there, people are always in there, but it was just so lucky in my, for me, where I was like, wow, I get this whole place to myself for a little while. And so I was in there. It was really neat. I, I just had my recorder with me and my phone. I didn't have any other equipment at the time on me. And I, I did some recording and I got EVPs and then this one woman who used to work there, she doesn't anymore, but her name is Darba. She went in there and she was saying, oh yeah, you know that like there was that mortician's table above the her, the, you know, the Mariah. And she's like, oh yeah, you know, this tends to move on its own and what have you. And they really like people's birthdays. And so I was like, oh, we could pretend it's my birthday. And she's like, oh, okay. Did you guys hear that? It's Tessa's birthday. And my recorder gets a man saying, no, it's not. And it was really, really cool. And then this last year, we actually did investigate on my birthday. And I'm still going through audio. So I'm not too sure if we got anything. I mean, I got some things, but I still have to go through it all. You know how that goes. It takes forever. It's a chore. But I mean, it's so awesome. Just so much. And then the... The coffin, the viewing coffin was kind of like tilted. And she's like, does that look crooked to you? And so she goes behind the thing to go move it. And obviously it's a huge coffin, so it's heavy. And I was like, hey, who moved that coffin? Did somebody move it? And this man's voice said, I did on my recorder. And so just a lot of neat stuff. Again, you just never are disappointed when you investigate the paranormal in a place like Tombstone. And yeah, Watts Harbell is one of my favorite places to go to. Every time I go to Tombstone, I have to go to the Birdcage. I have to go to Watts Harbell. And I mean, they are just great. And now, like we were talking about earlier on the phone a couple days ago, it's like an espresso bar run by a couple of sisters, phenomenal ladies. And oh, just great. The coolest place. Yeah. Too. I mean, it's the coolest place. You buy you buy a large latte, it automatically comes with four shots. So right. I told them, it's Undertaker Coffee brings you back from the dead. That's right. That's right. They, haven't, the... done it. they haven't done it yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they will. I think that's a great, great advertising for them. The other thing about the breakage, you were talking about the Mariah. Right. So there was actually, the Mariah wasn't the only hearse in Tombstone, but it's the only one that's still around. The theory is that, like in a lot of historical texts, it says, oh, it carried everybody except like six people to Boot Hill, which is really true, but there was two at one time. Matter of fact, when the McClary brothers and Clanton were buried at Boot Hill, Clanton was taken in one, and the McClary brothers were taken in another. Mm. And if you, I'm sure you've seen pictures of them. That they, they, those, I got to tell you, those caskets are creepy. Yeah, because they've got glass tops on them. Right. And people say 
how is it possible that you're burying and and there is a metal plate that goes on top of it that keeps the glass from breaking but it's like it's creepy it's yeah creepy creepy there was another other undertaker that was well actually there was two or three undertakers one was called i think it was ritter and ream and they were not far from the birdcage and you know that watt and tarbells is not far from the birdcage right yeah so, they're very you know, close with the, within a block either direction there was at least two right there it's crazy oh yeah it is crazy absolutely and i know they saw more action around that time than new york and chicago and los angeles certainly in murders right yeah. absolutely so while on the phone the other day, Bruce, we had a great conversation. A lot of things were mentioned and talked about, and you shared a lot of intriguing and interesting things, including about Doc Holliday and the famous picture that is connected to him. But what you told me just blew my mind. Can you reshare that? Sure. So there is a photograph. You, I, we don't know how this started, but it is often used as Doc Holiday. Any of your listeners can go do a simple Google search, look up Doc Holiday tattoo, and you're going to see basically two kinds of tattoos. You're going to see Val Kilmer, mm -hmm. or you're going to see a tattoo of this gentleman from this photograph. And you'll see tons of them. The problem is the guy in the photograph is named John Escapule. Now, he is actually the great-grandfather of the mayor of Tombstone, Dusty Escapule. Interestingly enough, Doc Holliday had light-colored hair. In this photograph, this guy has got jet black hair. He's got a hmm. jet black mustache with what they call an imperial, which is like a, I think they call him a soul patch now, right under the lip. There's a little bit more hair. Yeah. He clearly, this guy is, in, is a good-looking guy. He's clearly in good health he's certainly not suffering from tuberculosis yeah and how would you like to get a tattoo that you spent a bunch of money on right it's a really nice looking tattoo that says doc holiday underneath it and it's like oh yeah that's not him right no when you told me that that just blew my mind i remember you saying yeah so if you're gonna get a tattoo it better be the val kilmer and I mean, to me, in my opinion, he he portrayed Doc Holliday the best. I mean, he was phenomenal in that role. He also used that, so did Dennis Quaid, also used that photograph as a basis for their look. Mm. That's why they both in those movies have dark hair. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. But, but Doc Holliday didn't have dark hair. I mean, he wasn't like, you know, platinum blonde or something, but he right. was definitely had lighter, lighter color. But, you know, one of the problems with working for Discover Tombstone is I find out a lot of things that kind of sometimes kind of blow history for me. It's like, you know, I was surprised as well when I found out about Doc Holliday. I was surprised to find out that the house that is an art gallery that has a big statue of Wyatt Earp out in front of it is not actually Wyatt Earp's house. Wyatt Earp's house was is no longer there, but it was there's been a lot of of historians have gone through and found when Wyatt Earp went to go on his vendetta ride, he mortgaged his house to get some money so that he could go after various factions of cowboys. 
and his house was on the other side of the street, quite close to where Virgil's house is. And there's a curb in Fremont Street when you first come into town, and he lived much closer to the curb and on the opposite side of the street. And everybody, everybody goes to see Wyatt Earp's house. Right. No, it's that, really not. That's interesting. And see, yeah, last October when we were there, we checked it out. And in my oh, head. People, people will tell you. I mean, there's there's a number of people that will tell you, oh, yeah, that's Wyatt Earp's house. It, it's kind of funny because sometimes when you listen to people, still to this day, there's arguments on who is at fault at the OK Corral. Half the population is like, that damn Wyatt Earp, you know, he murdered those guys. And then the other people are like, no, Wyatt Earp, he was a great lawman. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. For instance, if you go on a tour of the state courthouse, there are tour guides that will tell you that the gallows out back are the original gallows. But what happened was in 1912, when Arizona became a state, Arizona wasn't doing, you wouldn't do capital punishment in the city of Tombstone anymore. It was done by the state. And what they did with the original thing is they broke it all up and burned it up. Then in the 60s, they rebuilt a replica of it. And this is a kind of a hairy story. They were doing fake hangings for a while where they put you in like a truss and they hook you up to the actual gallows and drop you through the floor. <laughs> the 60s weren't the safest time ever. And the trust wasn't set to right. Now, the guy didn't die, but he was definitely choking to death, so they stopped doing that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy shit, that's <laughs> wild. And I hear, from what I understand, the courthouse has quite a bit of activity. The courthouse is very close to what used to be called Hoptown in Tombstone, and that was the Chinese section. And there's, you know, China Mary is often seen in that area. She's also seen at Boot Hill. She's also been seen at Shefflin Hall. And there was, you know, she was kind of the gal that ran everything in Hoptown. You know, she was the one that they called her the godfather. Well, they refer to her as the godfather now. Obviously, she was the godmother. But <laughs> she... You know, used to run prostitutes out of there, and she owned a store and was quite an entrepreneur. And she used to tell people, like, she would get workers for different businesses, and she'd say, my guys steal, I pay. So, you know, she had that, you know, her word was was pretty good, and she was pretty good at helping people, too. She was kind of, she was done had a lot of people, and I think in both life and death, there's a lot of people that were both good and bad. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, Wyatt Earp at one time was a horse thief and all kinds of, and he ran brothels, although having a brothel wasn't really illegal at the time. A lot of people hear, well, you had a brothel. Well, that's probably illegal. Well, it is now, but it wasn't then. You could get a city license, as you, you've seen in the birdcage. You know, there's this story at the birdcage about the two prostitutes that, that the one killed the other. Have you ever heard that? I have, but retell that story for the people that don't know it. So there was a gal named Gold Dollar, and apparently, uh, supposedly it was because she charged a gold dollar to be with the man. I highly doubt that because a gold dollar back then was a lot. You know, I mean, it was, I mean, 
a miner would only make three bucks for a day because there was a lot of gals in town that you know different levels of prostitution but gold dollar had a boyfriend and she was working at i can't remember if it was a crystal palace or, or white herbs i think she was working at the oriental and she went down and this girl margarita who kind of came out of nowhere like a lot of people in tombs so a lot of people came out of nowhere margarita was you know getting handsy with her boyfriend sitting on his lap and mm. you know flirting with him you know the the way you would if you were trying to attract a customer right and gold dollar saw her walked in to say hi to her quote boyfriend and just drove a knife straight into this chick's chest and she like died like right on the spot it's a little sketchy after that because they couldn't find the murder weapon and she never got charged with anything even though and that's why they call it the legend of gold dollar and margarita because it's kind of funky to me that she never got charged with anything because there were eyewitnesses to it that saw it happen but Apparently, nothing ever happened to her. I mean, we know that Gold Dollar and her boyfriend existed, and there is a grave at Boot Hill for Margarita. Yeah. And Margarita is also one of the, quote, spirits at Boot Hill that get seen. There's been often shadow figures seen right at her grave. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember seeing a headstone saying the name Margarita, so I was just going to ask, but you just mentioned that. Yeah, that's... Just like I said, everywhere you turn, there's just so many things going on there. And that's why I'm so drawn to your page, Discover Tombstone. There's one post that you, I think it's one of your more recent ones. And it talks a bit about a lucky horse in a wagon titled One of the Craziest Accidents Ever. Oh, yeah. 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 There was where the Good Enough Mine was, which is right along Tuff. That a lot of people don't realize there are hundreds of miles of mine tunnels and shafts all around here, uh, underneath the town. Sometimes they're not that far underneath either. And that was what happened with there was a thing called the Million Dollar Stoke. And what had happened was the good enough mine took a million dollars worth of silver out of this one, basically this one room. And there was only about two feet between where the top of this cavernous thing where they took all the silver out of was and the street. And one day a guy in an ice wagon, he thought his horse stumbled and he jumped off his ice wagon to look. And as he jumped off, the horse and the wagon disappeared into a gigantic hole hmm. and it fell about 75 feet. Miraculously, the horse didn't get killed. They were able to walk the horse out through the front of the good enough mine. But, you know, there was, I've, I've heard tale too, that there was a thing much, much later. That was in the early 1900s, but much later where, it was either a truck or a school bus had a wheel that went down and then they completely filled up that section but there are some places in tombstone that uh, you know where the, the buildings are a little bit depressing you know they're sinking a little bit so it's always exciting here right absolutely never a dull moment 
You sit at my house. I, I'm looking at the Birdcage Theater right now. I live up on the hill, so I can see the Birdcage Theater quite clearly from my house. That's way cool. That's very awesome. I know people from all over go and travel to Tombstone. And like you said, the Birdcage is definitely one of the spots that people absolutely make sure to go to. And so that's neat that you get to just see it anytime you want. <laughs> well, I'm sure that people that listen to your show are going to be interested in the paranormal. But if they decide they want to come to Tombstone and they've got friends that are like not about the paranormal, the Birdcage is a fantastic museum. Yes. It's a fantastic museum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to just be a paranormal enthusiast. As a matter of fact, I would say that probably 80% of the people that come to Tombstone aren't coming here for paranormal things. I'd like to see that change because I do marketing for the town, and it's one of the biggest things we have is paranormal activity. Right, absolutely. Tombstone and paranormal is kind of like hand in hand. And so, I, I mean, I go... For the people, the history, the haunts, everything. I, I've always been a fan of the Old Wild West, and so I love that too. And I just love that it seems everybody knows each other. We were there for my birthday, and, you know, people were like, hey, it's the birthday girl. Let's buy her a shot. Just like, you know, days oh, later yeah, after meeting sure. them. And so it was, yeah, you know, it was just kind of really neat. And so I'm excited to, it's like, Tombstone's one of those places that I literally will plan my trip to go there as I'm leaving there. And my boyfriend's like, we're not even out of the town limits yet. And you're already talking about going back. And I'm like, well, yeah, it kind of grabs hold on to me. And I want to go back immediately. It's one of those places that I'm always so sad when I have to leave. <laughs> right. And I think I was telling you, if next time you come back, there are several places that are considered to have activity, places to stay. But I'll tell you what, the Larian, like the Tombstone Bordello bed and breakfast, I think you've been to that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, well, it's not far. I don't want to make it sound like it's far because nothing in Tombstone is far. So it's not that far, but there's a couple places along Fremont Street. Fremont Street runs parallel to Allen Street, which is where most things are. Right. And the Larian Motel is well known for, for being haunted as well. There is a number of rooms at a number of places that are considered to be haunted. So. Yeah, I'll have to check that out because for me, location is key. Like I know we mentioned the San Jose Inn and that place, it's like yes. you literally walk across the street and Birdcage is right there, Oriental's right there, you know, Oriental first, but then everything is right there. And I, I love the Bordello. They make amazing breakfasts, but you're right. It's not far, but it's far enough where we always have to jump in our car and find a parking space because, you know, especially in the Arizona heat, we don't want to be walking to and fro all the time. And so I, I definitely like a location where it's a bit closer, but I do love the history there at Bordello, really friendly people. One of your posts, you talk about a gal, and she made history in Tombstone, a woman named Nellie Cashman. If oh, you, yes. Yeah, talk a little bit about her and her neat story. So Nellie Cashman is... You know, I mentioned China Mary as being an entrepreneur. China Mary had nothing on Nellie Cashman. Mm -hmm. Nellie Cashman not only had a lot of business enterprises, 
as she was growing up and, and into her late ages, but she was a huge philanthropist. She actually had been up in Canada and had heard the tale of a bunch of miners who were trapped. And she said, uh, in you know, it, blizzard conditions, and these guys were stuck, and they couldn't get out of where they were. And she led a rescue party to go get them. And hmm. the Canadian Royal Mounted Police is like, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go. We're not even sending any guys. And she took like a group of men in with her and saved the lives of a ton of people. And that's the kind of person she was. But she owned Nellie Cashman's restaurant here in town, which is now called the Russ House, which it was a restaurant for a while. And there was a lot of talk of activity in that restaurant, you know, glasses moving on counters and things like that. But it's been turned into a bed and breakfast now. Mm. You know, I would have to, you know, because I think that if entities, if, if they're like intelligent entities and they're not just a, like recording kind of thing where it's doing the same thing every time, if there's any kind of intelligence to it, I would think that they get a little pissed off when their house is getting changed. Right. You know, when and, you know, and it's been worked on a couple of times lately, and it just literally reopened a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and there's, and I hear it's really nice. And there's, in the past, there's been a lot of activity. But Nellie was the kind of gal that when they were building the Catholic Church, she went around to get donations from people. And she didn't care who, you know, she was a big one for, I don't care who gives me donations. I don't care if you're a socialite. I don't care if you're a businessman. I don't care if you're a soiled dove. Yeah. You know, all the money's the same to me. And she helped finance the building of the, of the first Catholic church, which is one of the oldest Catholic churches for sure in this area and, and in the state as well. And so she spent a lot of her life, and she grub-staked miners all the time. People who were down on their luck, she would help them out. She was really a philanthropist, but they used to call her the angel of the camps, or sometimes angel of the mining camp. And she had been everywhere. She'd been from California to Oregon to Washington to Canada to Nevada to Arizona. Right. And she was well-known, Yeah. No, that's phenomenal for sure. And it was a little while since I read your post regarding her, but doesn't she have a connection to the Bisbee Five? She does. I'm, yeah, that's right. She does. So when there was a thing where they were going to hang these guys, right? And in the Boot Hill, it says legally hang. Because they didn't really hang a lot of people in Tombstone. Even though there was a big gallows, not a lot of people got hung, at least legally. There were some people that got hung from, like, telephone, telegraph lines and things like that. Right. But five of these guys had been involved in this, what they called the Bisbee Massacre, were going to be hung in Tombstone. And it became like an event. Like... They wanted to build bleachers so everybody could watch them get hung. And there was like going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there to watch it. Like the entire town was going to turn out. And she just thought 
that was just not right. And so she arranged for that not to become a big spectacle. And then there was talk that people might pull those bodies out of Boot Hill Graveyard. So she hired, out of her own money, she hired miners to stand at Boot Hill to stand guard for like three or four days after the burial. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah, very. And not a lot of people back then would do that. I mean, right. if you think about it, Miners actually made what would be considered to be decent money. They made $3 a day. Well, a lot of people didn't make that kind of money, but they were involved in hard labor. You know, she was paying two miners, and I would have to think she was paying them about what they'd be paid at the mine. So she was probably spending 6 bucks a day, which back then was, you know, probably a couple hundred bucks. Right. You know, the amount of the difference in money is dramatic. But she she did that out of her own pocket. And, and, you know, she's such a good person. She's like, no. Like, they were talking about selling tickets to the hanging. She's like, no. And and she had a lot of pull in the city. She she was a, a person with that you didn't trifle with. You know, right. if something was going to happen, she was going to take care of it. She was very well known for, for that. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like she was so generous that it wouldn't surprise me if she paid the miners more than what they would have regularly made. Yeah. And, you know, we'd never know that, but it's yeah. possible. Have you ever heard of a place called Brunkow's Cabin? I, I have heard of that. I haven't been in that location that I know of, but I have heard of it. Talk a bit about that, though. It's not that far from Tombstone. It's actually in what is still considered the Tombstone Mining District, but it's between Tombstone and the San Pedro River, which is, of all things, it's a strange thing that that we have a river here <laughs> that runs north, which is weird as well. Most of the time, it doesn't look like a river. You know, you're from Colorado. You see a river you think of a river this is not right. a river normal. when there's monsoons it's a huge river it's bank to bank and eight feet deep and running 60 miles an hour but there was a guy named frederick brunkow he was from germany and he became a mining engineer and when he came to the united states he joined a group i think it was called the sonora exploring and mining company and that brought him out west and in the late 1850s, you know, this is another one of those tombstone stories where you go, oh, I didn't realize that. Everyone thinks of Ed Shufflin as being the first guy to find silver. He is in the area right where Tombstone is. But Bunkow's cabin was much closer to the San Pedro River. It's about eight miles southwest of where we are right now. Mm. And... He had a couple of guys that worked with him, and they got what is really the first mine. It's, you know, he was there in 1858, and they think there might have been a mine there before then. As I think the first claim was around 1850, which is a full 27 years before Tombstone was ever even here. But he had a little issue at the house one day. They had a, he had a couple of guys that worked with them, a, a chemist and a cook, and he had guys from Sonora that were up working for him. And one day, the one guy left to go to buy some provisions. And when he came back, 
bunkow was dead had it had a rock drill put through his chest mm. and dumped down in the mine shaft and then the an, another guy was missing and another guy was dead and this guy ran back to the port and said oh my god these guys are over here they've been killed and went over well the reason they call it the bloodiest cabin in Arizona is over the years a ton of people have died there and they seem to bury them all on the grounds there's been bandits that had killed each other on the site and it was an interesting site even Ed Chucklin had been to that cabin before but there I think I want to say there's at least 27 or something people that have been killed at that location and buried on that location. Oh, geez. There's not a lot of it left, but everybody that I know that's been there has said they've at least had weird experiences. You know, they think they hear things. They think they hear people talking, all that kind of thing. But the, the problem is it's not that far off at Charleston road, which is, you know, if you're trying to get EVPs or something, it's, mm. you know, they're not going to stop traffic for you. Right, absolutely. It'd be a great place for an ovulus, so. Yeah, and I have an ovulus, so I'll definitely have to check it out, maybe do a spirit box session. With me, I'm really patient, like, if I'm doing an EVP session, and if it's somewhere where, like, you know, like you said, they're not closing things down for you, or you're not there after hours or whatever, I'll, like, literally stop and then I'll start up again when nobody's around when it's silent so you never know but yeah that does seem like a place that I would want to go check out close too it's really close it'd take you it'd take you 10 minutes to get there right no very cool for sure you know another location that I always like to go to which we've mentioned a couple times already is Boot Hill that place is really really neat this last time I went I noticed, uh, and I haven't noticed it before, but I noticed that where, like, a lot of the, like, the law enforcement are buried, that there's, like, uh, tokens and, you know, different things there for them. And I think leave, that's people cool. People leave money on the graves of fallen lawmen, for sure. Fred that's... White's grave. And Fred White was killed by Curly Bill. on Yes. It. Yeah. As everybody says, even Wyatt Earp, who originally took him into custody for murder, Wyatt Earp, he even testified and said, I think it was on accident. Because Curly Bill, even though he was considered to be a bad one of the bad boy cowboys, was quite fond of Fred White, apparently. And they would mm. laugh and joke. And Curly Bill, you know, used to eat it. There was a person in Hoptown that had a restaurant called the Can Can that did both Chinese and American food. Mm-hmm. And he said that Curly Bill was a really nice guy. It's really good because he always pays his tab. I guess that was a... I think Dine and Dash is not uh, not really a new occurrence. I think there yeah. were guys that dined and Dash back in the day, but he said Curly Bill did. And so Fred White got killed in front, in well, you would say in front of the birdcage, but the birdcage hadn't been built yet when Fred White was killed there. The birdcage came in December of 1881. The birdcage actually wasn't even there, you know, if you watch the movie Tombstone and everyone's sitting at the birdcage wide open, everyone. Yeah. They, the birdcage wasn't built until after the gunfight. It oh, was wow. built in December of the same year as the gunfight. The gunfight was in October and it was built in December. So the movie kind of got that wrong. 
But, you know, it's the birdcage, so they got to have representation in there for it. White got, got shot out in front of what then was a vacant lot. Oh, interesting. Yeah, see, that's that's interesting. I did not know that at all. And I certainly didn't know that Curly Bill was thought to be a stand-up guy for the most part. I He, he, he seems to be, like, apparently he was... Well, like I said, in Tombstone, there's a lot of people that will tell you that the Cowboys were stand-up guys anyway. But, you know, I don't know that that's so much true. But even guys that aren't stand-up guys, you know, know, they might be cattle rustlers, but they might always pay their tab at a restaurant or something. They might be jovial and nice when you meet them, you know. Yeah. I've talked to some scandalous guys in my day that seemed pretty nice when I talked to them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you do. You never know. That's for sure. About Boot Hill, there's a picture of like a man in the distance, an apparition. I I know what picture. I know you know what picture I'm talking about. Yeah. But talk a little bit about that, if you will. So that picture was taken by actually. Well, it wasn't taken by, but the guy. There's a guy in the picture. He's at Boot Hill. You can see the Dragoon Mountains off in the background. I mean, if you're going to get buried, Boot Hill's not a bad place to be. It's got a great view. But he took his picture there, and he wanted to show the the Dragoon Mountains in the background. And he's actually a direct descendant from the Clantons. His name's Terry Ike Clanton. And he had this picture taken of him, and there is full-on a guy that looks like he's walking upstairs out of a grave or something. I mean, it really kind of looks like that. Now, a lot of people have looked at this picture. I mean, a zillion I haven't heard anyone who's really necessarily debunked it, and there's no one that's really necessarily said, oh, it's real either. You know, it's one of those things. But he was never into the paranormal at all and a lot of people that come to tombstone are not into the paranormal when they come here it's after they come here and so it really looks now i tell you i've been to that area where that picture was taken i can tell you nobody dug a hole and had a guy stand there because you can only see the top half of this guy and it's mesquite and things around it's there's no there's no real heavy foliage there's Nothing that this guy could be crouching behind. It's just not like that. And if you're not familiar with the ground around Boot Hill and around Tombstone in general, it's hard ground. It's hard ground. Tombstones were hard, what they call hard stone mines. It's not like digging in dirt. It's like digging in rock. It's really, that's why when you go to Boot Hill, you'll see rock cairns on everything because the bodies weren't really buried deep at all. And the reason there's rocks piled on top is not everyone got a nice casket like, you know, the victims of the gunfight. There were people that you know, got a bag on them, you know, they're wrapped up in burlap. And, and they didn't want, you, you know, you don't want to see your loved one get carried away by coyotes or right. scavengers that dug them up. And the reason for that is the ground is so hard. Like, you couldn't bury someone six feet deep there. You're just not going, it's not going to happen like that. And where that picture was taken, I mean, it would take, first of all, you'd have to have the time to have two guys dig you like a four-foot hole out there. 
a time when nobody that works at Boot Hill would see you doing it. You know, it's just not reasonable that at least it was faked in that way. I suppose, you know, the way Photoshop is these days, you might be able to do it with Photoshop. But he seems pretty convinced that it's real. He said he didn't set anything up. And he goes, look, he used to tell people, oh, you're crazy. You know, if you think that ghosts are real, you're nuts. So for him to turn around and suddenly say, ooh, I think I caught a ghost in this picture is really strange for someone that thinks everyone else is nuts. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure, like you said, somebody like that, it's like, it was probably even hard for him to admit, geez, I I may have caught something in my whole life. I never believed in anything like this. Like I said before, there's a lot of people that say like that they see Virgil Earth Mm -hmm. and they're you know, 100% sure it's Virgil Earp. That's the kind of thing, like when people see the apparition of Virgil Earp, they talk about it more like the picture, like the entity in this picture, because that looks like a guy. I mean, he's not the, he certainly doesn't look nearly as clear as the picture of Terry I. Clint. I mean, you see all the details on him. The guy, you don't see nearly as many details on but he's definitely a guy, and he's definitely wearing a hat. There's no doubt about that. Yes, absolutely. Enough to the fact that people have suggested that maybe they had dug a hole and put a guy in it and all that. Because he looks fairly realistic. He's a little... You can't see everything. But. Right. You know, Bruce, there's another interesting picture, talking about photographic evidence, if you will, where... True West Magazine actually shared this, and it says, In the 1920s, Tombstone Deputy Billy Breckenridge, one of the last to see Rain go alive, visits the remote grave site and sat in the bow of the tree while a companion snapped this picture. And it's interesting because I shared this on my Paranormal Prowlers podcast page, but you can actually see the face of a man hovering kind of above him. Yeah, I've seen that picture, and definitely, you know, they always talk about, I can't remember what the word they use for it when, you know, we tend to see things that, you know, are recognizable to us, and I can't remember what they call that. Um, It's kind of a thing like when the people look and they they go, oh, that's a structure on Mars, and they go, you're just seeing things when you look at it. But it clearly looks like there's a guy's head there. Right, you see his hairline. I mean, you only see half of the face. It's like the other part is dark. You can't see it, but I definitely see a hairline, the forehead, his eye, and his nose. And it, yeah. it's very, I mean, it's a lot larger. The but The funny thing is, it's kind of easier to see that head than actually Billy Breckenridge's head. Right. Billy Breckenridge, like, kind of molds right into that tree down there at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. It's like you could see his hands. I mean, it just, like... It's, it is very interesting, but yeah, I just, I, I love photographic evidence, Bruce, and really Tombstone, you just get so much of that there. It's like the spirits are definitely not shy, and I love that. Well, and there's a lot of talking, you mentioned at Boot Hill earlier, and you know, there's, it's, I've heard a lot of EVPs that people 
that have had kids laughing, and there is a lot of kids in Boot Hill. I mean, it's a really sad thing to say, but there's a lot of kids there. Mm. And there's some kids that died rather suddenly in tragic deaths. The Brady brothers were 11 and 12 years old, and one drowned trying to save the other one from drowning. So oh. both of these brothers died at the same time. They're buried in the same grave in Boot Hill, but there's been people that have said, we've heard laughter and we've recorded laughter there and there's a lot of kids that died of disease and things there as well so there's a lot of evp type evidence that people grab around you know what there's a lot of every kind of evidence that people grab around town yes absolutely i i couldn't agree more i've got an ovulus results phenomenal class a clear as day evps when i was at boot hill i actually got trying to remember what his Seymour died maybe and he was killed by Indians and I was recording when I was there super hot day people were kind of coming and going and I was being very patient stopping recording when I you know uh, when people are around and I was stopping at every tombstone just quickly and talking and I got an EVP of what sounds like an Indian man saying Seymour like no R at the end but Seymour and then all of a sudden, like this, like Indian drum music. It was the weirdest thing. And I'm a debunker. I will debunk. Seymour, Seymour, die, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And I will debunk everything under the moon if I hear it and I could identify it. Okay, dog barking, car driving by, whatever. You know, I didn't hear any sort of music or chanting. I didn't hear anything like that. And so. I, I got to tell you, too, I've seen enough paranormal shows where they're like, listen, listen to this class of EVP. He clearly said, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't hear that at all. No. I'm like, I know they're saying that it's a class A EVP, but I'm like, ah, man, I didn't even hear that a little bit. Right. I really don't listen or watch any of those shows anymore because... I've, you know, having my radio show, my podcast, I've talked with people who have had their own shows or been on shows and they're just like, Tessa, I went on to share my encounter and they totally turned it around trying to make it super scary when it wasn't and just different things like that. And it's like, they try to like, try to like make it 10 times huger sometimes. And it's like, well, I'm not really watching the truth. I'm watching more like a movie. And so, in my opinion, anyway. And so, yeah, I really don't watch that stuff. But I know for me, the things that I catch, I don't manipulate. I don't have to add anything. I don't have people watching me on TV where I need ratings. And I'm not saying every show does that. I have a lot of friends who are on those shows. But for me, it's like, yeah, sometimes you get something which is like kind of like unintelligible. You, It's like, okay, I don't know what that's saying. But sometimes it's so clear where, but I know what you mean. A lot of the times they'll even play it like 10 times for you with the words on the screen. Yeah, it's like, and they, I, I still don't hear it. No, yeah, exactly. And it's like they, they, they want you to hear it so bad that they'll play it 10 times for you where you're reading it along on the screen. And it's like, nope, I don't hear that whatsoever. Or, or someone want, I'll give you a, a really good example that is not a recording, but <laughs> when Ghost Adventures was at the Birdcage Theater, my friend's mother was the person that took him around inside. And she had experiences there all the time, all kinds of experiences. And she's on the stairs, and she felt like she got pushed. And she starts falling down the stairs, 
do they try and catch her? No, they're taking video of her falling down the stairs. And she, she, after that, she's like, I have no use for those guys. Right. I literally fell down the stairs right in front of them. And I went right past two of them (laughs) and they could have saved me. Right. She, yeah, and she got, you know, fairly hurt. So, you know, she was like, "Ah, I'm never, never going with a ghost tour again. Right. No, and who can blame her? I, yeah, that's a great example. Another example, I did an episode about the Jerome Grand Hotel several months back and where they investigated there and a friend of mine whose family owns it, he no longer works there. He's on his own now, but he said that there's that scene where Zach is laying there with his big old camera and the elevator, the Otis elevator is coming down on him. And he was like... Oh, is this, is this the one where the guy got killed by the elevator? Yes, yeah, the same exact elevator, yeah. And he said, oh yeah, I saw the boys just standing there watching him and they were just kind of like, hey, move. And he's like, Tessa, I had to jump over things, grab Zach by the feet. It barely, gra- like, it barely missed him. He's like, his friends were right there and they were just videotaping, just yelling for him to move. And to me, I was like, wow, Zach's a pain in the butt. He's not my favorite person, but I sure don't want to see him get killed on TV. Yeah, I, I didn't want to see him die. <laughs> right? And so, yeah, it is interesting how that kind of thing, it's like, okay, guys, get your priorities straight. <laughs> Oh my God, I I totally get it. You know that's what everyone does these days. It's you know everything's going to be a fail video. I'm like, you know, you could have stopped that before it happened if you weren't trying to videotape it. Right. You could have saved that kid, or you know, something know. That gets hurt at the playground. I'm like, you could have had a positive influence on that, but. But I guess you got a viral video out of it, so whatever is most important to you. I know, seriously. Well, Bruce, you know, I could, we, we'll have to definitely do this again. I had so much fun talking with you. I know you got a skedaddle. You got your day ahead of you. But before we... I'm, I'm actually going to a museum with a buddy of mine. So hey, that's gonna, cool. We're going to soak up some more history of Tombstone. Oh, that's awesome. Love it, love it. Well, you oh, know... By the way, so if anybody's interested in going to tombstone yeah just if you're on facebook go look at discover tombstone on facebook you can look at it on instagram as well there's a discover tombstone.com that literally lists everything there is to do in the town anybody with a business license has a, an entry on that page so it's a really good resource if you're ever going to plan a trip or something come here you can find everything at that one website, discovertombstone.com. So. You guys, he actually has started sharing some posts on the Paranormal Prowlers page too, so you can find him that way too. Just click that and then follow because phenomenal posts. You you say you're not quite a historian yet, but you're to me you are. You're just full I'm of knowledge. You're damn well I'm close. <laughs> well, you know, there's always the problem with, and this is the problem with the paranormal as well, but the problem with history is, There's three kinds of history. There's the history as it really happened. Then there's the history as, like, reported by, like, newspapers, which in Tombstone there was two different newspapers with two diametrically opposed views on politics. Seriously, you had the the Democrats and Republicans back then. The Republicans kind of sided with the Earps. The Democrats kind of sided with the Cowboys. Yeah. And, And, you know, so you got two different views of everything. Then you have the Hollywood history, which is worthless, completely worthless. Oh, yeah. 
you know, and then you have the history that's handed down one thing told to another. And the problem is you'll get historians that look up things and you'll get, there's a thing where they're trying to find this place called Drew Station where this guy, Phil, uh, Bud Philpot got murdered uh, when he was on the way to Tombstone. And there's two historians with two, they each have backup evidence to the gills about where this place is, but they completely disagree on where it is. Even though they both have evidence to support their thing, it's like, oh, they don't really know where it is. So, and we run into that in the, the paranormal as well. You'll hear tons of people say, you know, this is the most active spot. And then someone goes up there and they don't find anything. And then the next day, some guy who's a complete skeptic who isn't looking for anything ghostly goes there and goes, oh, my God, I just got the crap scared out of me. Right. You're very accurate with that for sure. Well, Bruce, big, big shout out for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I feel after hearing your talk with the other guy, though, I'm feeling I I could have sounded, you know, it's funny because people with English accents sound <laughs> like they're more official. I should have talked. I should have. I said, you know, at the Birdcage Theater, we had quite a go round. <laughs> it, just, it just sounds more believable. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I, I've had friends from Ireland like Barry Fitzgerald, uh, who had Ghost Hunters International, and, and so many other people. And every time I listen to them, I get lost in their accents. I just love their accents. And right? so I get lost right? in it, you know? I agree. You know, what accent, you know what accent you don't get lost in? My family's accent, which is Scottish. Nobody can understand what they're saying. Oh. Even people in England look at them and they're like, I need closed captioning. For these guys have no idea what they're saying no but it's been a blast i really appreciate you having me on it was real fun and definitely you know we'll do this again sometime or you know if you need someone to come on i'd be more than happy to if you come here to town let me know we'll hang out oh yes i would love that let's see your skeptic boyfriend and i'll bring my skeptic <laughs> wife and they'll have a lot to talk about They'll be like, look at these two idiots over here. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know what a good day would be? Get an espresso at the at the Undertaker's in the morning. Absolutely. Go for lunch at Longhorn. Go for drinks at Oriental. Go for dinner at Big Nose Kate's. And then investigate all night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and especially, you know... My wife would be right with you up until the very last part. Right? She's like, yeah, we go here, we go there, do karaoke at the Oriental, do that. Oh, you're going to go ghost hunt? All right, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend, too, he'd probably be like, okay, let's go to the Oriental and drink while they do whatever they're going to do. <laughs> right? right? Absolutely. Well... Truly a neat guy, neat place for sure. And like I said, it has everything from delicious food to amazing history, the people as friendly as can be, uh, good spirits, and I mean liquor and spiritual. Be sure to check out some of my favorite locations like Tombstone Brewing Company, The Oriental, Birdcage, Big Nose Kate's, Lawton Tar Bell. Geez, you know, I could just keep going on. Just go everywhere. You won't be disappointed, okay? You'll have a ball, and you will make several new friends. Some may be living challenged, and that's okay in my book. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! 
Listen to the others. They are all pretty phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those podcast platforms such as CastBox, Overcast, Spotify, Deezer, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, wherever you may roam to listen to your other podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands, baby, Glendora, California, Big Spring, Texas, Kelso, Washington, and Halawa, Hawaii. As always, it's greatly appreciated. Be sure to come back by on Monday as a new episode is released every single Monday. As we drive forward three years this April, I've never skipped a week, and that is something that I take absolute pride in. Have a spooky, unexplained tale to share of your own, or a suggestion for a topic? Shy? Write it down. I can read it for you. Want to be a voiceover? Lurk on over the Paranormal Prowlers podcast page on Facebook or at Paraprowl on Twitter. Or email me at paraprowl at gmail.com. Again, big, big shout out to Bruce Burnett and all my friends in the town that's too tough to die. And we will see you next week.